Good morning, church family. I, uh, my name is Tim. Nice to meet you. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, if you have your Bible, would you turn to the book of Luke? Uh, Luke chapter 16, uh, beginning in verse 19, is where we'll be this morning. Uh, and we're going to answer the question, what does money, mercy, and missions tell us about our heart toward God? And really, specifically, how does money help us understand, or rather, the heart we have, the attitude we have, the position we carry, the way we live, the, uh, how we lean into the idea of money, how does that inform our understanding of missions? Uh, before you uh, go somewhere in your mind where this sermon doesn't go, the text is not a text that tells you you need to uh, give more money. You might. That's not the point, though. That's not today. The giving moment was earlier, and so you can just like settle. If you haven't been at church for a while and you come from a background or you went somewhere growing up and all they did was say, uh, was talk about money, um, the Bible has a lot to say about it, but this is not, this is not that. Uh, we're going to just look at how our heart towards money, our posture towards money helps us understand our posture, our heart towards missions. As you're finding Luke chapter 16, we're going to see that we all have a way, if we're not careful, of uh, changing or manipulating or shading uh, Scripture, uh, shading Christianity uh, in a way that makes uh, our use of money and our heart towards money uh, and, uh, okay, even though if we were to look at Scripture, what it really says, uh, the way that we can sometimes think about it isn't okay. And how, because of how we think about money and comfort, uh, when we think wrongly about it, it deeply affects the mission that God has for you as you change and manipulate uh, your mindset, your posture towards money. It, in effect, sets up two worlds, and you just can't live in both as a follower of Jesus. When I was about, uh, I don't know, fourth grade maybe, uh, I don't, uh, I, I, do you guys do like one mile fun runs at elementary schools? Have you done those? Do your kids do those? Okay, well, it's a one mile run that's supposed to be fun. And it's, you know, one mile fun run, right? And uh, when I was in fourth grade, I went to one at my elementary school and everyone lined up and I lined up at the front because I was gonna win this race and there's a big difference between a fourth grader and a sixth grader, all sorts of size and hormones and just physicality. And so I stood out in the front. I'm not a very big person anyways. And uh, the ref or whoever shoots the gun, uh, the starting gun, uh, came up and said, hey, you might want to move to the back. Like these, these guys are faster than you. And I was like, no, I'm going to win. See, what he didn't know is that I knew the course in my mind. And what I was going to do is when the gun went and we got around the corner, uh, there was an area that, is, that there were woods separating where we were going and where you come back to finish. And I knew I'm going to just like cut over, you know, <laughs> and then like jump back on and go. 
And so that's what we did. We started, and I took off sprinting as hard as I could to keep up with these kids that really were just setting their own pace. And I got over there, and I pretended like I got a cramp, and I jumped off to the side in the woods, and I waited for them to come back around, and I jumped back in with them. And I, at four, in fourth grade, at nine years old or 10 years old or whatever, I ran a five-minute and 15-second mile just for fun. And... I know, I know. I was, uh, I was really good at making my own race there. And, uh, and so I finished, and my PE teacher was like, Tim, that's amazing, almost unbelievable, you know? I'm like, I know, I know. Uh, I'm really, really good. And uh, I lived in Florida. She said, you're not even sweating. I was like, I know. I'm really, I'm like, I'm that, that was psh, nothing. Like, and... Um, and she said, man, we should like get you a prize or something. Like you deserve some kind of reward for this kind of effort. And I said, yeah, I do. And so that was on a Saturday and I went home and like my, my parents were like, wow, that's unbelievably good. And then, uh, you know, I know you, I raised you, right? Hmm. And, uh, but they were kind and didn't say anything in that moment. Um, they knew what was coming. And so that Monday I was walking through the hallway and I saw my principal and he said, Tim, I heard you ran a five-minute mile on Saturday. And I was like, I sure did. 5.15, but whatever, you know. And he said, um, are, you, are you, I mean, you're sure you did that? And I was like, I, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, I, I started and I finished. And he said, okay, because um, I reviewed the footage. And it looks like you, you stop running and then you just go off into the woods and then you appear later when everyone else runs through. And I was like, uh, no, I'm pretty sure I... He said, are you sure you want to stick to that story that you did it? And I was like, uh, maybe not. Um, because it's pretty obvious for so many reasons that not only at uh, nine or ten years old or whatever I was, was I physically even capable of doing that, some of them were, not me. I'm still not a very tall person, and I have stumpy legs. It's just not, I'm not a runner. And not only was that physical, but it also just, I mean, it was just wrong. Like, I, I made up my own race. And so uh, I got to go see the principal again. Me and him had a, we were on uh, just really good terms. We saw each other often. And learned uh, that I actually not only was not getting uh, the reward, um, I also had earned, uh, well, consequence. And that's, that's what happened. It's been a, a temptation of my life. I can cut corners like nobody's business and, uh, and, and convince others that I actually did the right thing. I can make up my own way of doing it and uh, talk circles around. Uh, that's a sinful opposite side of the way that God has wired me and gifted me, that sometimes I can use that to manipulate conversations and circumstances. And in my life, I've had to learn that if I'm not really, really careful, uh, what I'll do, what I've always done, uh, no one taught me to do that, I just figured out I could do that on my own, is um, I'll take uh, the pathway or race and I'll make my own way and then try to get away with it if I'm not careful. 
Today's text is going to be a confrontation between Jesus and those who would take the race of the Christian faith in fulfilling God's designed mission for your life, and he's going to confront that and say, you can't make up your own way. Like, you, you, you can't just manipulate and twist God's design for us as found in Scripture and then somehow on the other end be confused as to why you, you didn't get the reward that He gives us through His way in Christ alone. And there's really, like, there's two ways to do this. There's, there's two ways to twist the race. Uh, the first one is to take shortcuts and then wonder what happened when you don't get the reward. It looks like uh, living life as I want to live it and then uh, ignoring God for my entire life, uh, knowing that He would call me to follow Him and instead thinking I'll be okay in the end. I'm short-circuiting the cross of Christ by which we are saved alone. The second way, and just as deadly and just as damaging and just as destructive, still worthy of condemnation, is adding things to the race that God has called us to run as if those things are the gospel, Uh, creating ways that we should live and others should live. uh, And if they don't live among those preferences that we add to the gospel, then they are not running the race. We're taking it and adding on top of it. What this text is going to teach us is how Jesus confronts that, uh, that, 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 uh, that um, innate ability uh, that we have to twist God's design for our life into something that looks more like what we like. And he's going to use some really strong terms to see how deadly and dangerous that is for your soul, and how when we do that, and specifically how we do that with money, tells us, uh, shows us how we do that really with the mission overall that God has given us. Luke 16, verse 19, is a story about money and a story about mercy. It's Jesus tells this story because this group of people like us had manipulated and reinvented God's purpose for their lives. And that's a massive problem. It's a massive problem because first, God is God and there is no other. There aren't like uh, God as master and other masters, God as Lord and other lords, God's way and other ways, and they all lead to the same place. No, there's God's way and no other way, and that's it. That's Scripture. That's the Bible. You you can't make up how to please God. You're the mission that God has given you. But secondly, because in the end, realistically, you just can't go two ways. If you don't believe me, if you don't believe me, at the end of the service, stand right here in the middle, and then I'll say, go. And then you try to go down both aisles at the same time. 
it doesn't work. Like literally physically, I don't know if it's metaphysics, it just doesn't work. You, you can't do that. In the same way, guys, it's, it's impossible to serve both God and money. And money in this context is, is uh, different than just how much is in your account, but how much that is in your account is whether you have more or less, it, it's much more than that. The idea is that this group of Pharisees had a religious Jewish background, a part of God's historic people that he promised to be his, and they had taken his words of blessing and his design for them, and he had twi- they had twisted it so that uh, the design for their life that God has placed to fulfill their mission that he gives them becomes subjugated to living comfy in this world. And then on top of that, it was affecting the mission significantly that God had given them. That instead of loving God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving their neighbor as themselves, God became the one that would bless them so that others would see them and think they're awesome so that uh, their neighbors would want to be like them. It was a massive manipulation of God's word. And Jesus is going to confront that in them and, to be honest, confront that in us. That we, we have this tendency, whether we have a lot of money or a little bit money, to ignore or twist Scripture so that we can justify our own desire to be seen as awesome. And Jesus is going to confront that in this, in this text. But not only is the story about money, it is about mercy. Mercy helps us understand that right now, if this morning God helps you see that you have switched money in God, that you work to serve, that you live to serve your comfort uh, to the detriment of neglecting God as God and serving others, you have to know in God's mercy, he's going to help you see that. It's not too late. Years ago, I went through a training thing and I remember like this switch flipping and from that point forward, I just was different. I had to do this thing called uh, drown proofing, which is more just like... um, you know, drowning with style. Like, it's, <laughs> you're not drown-proof. Like, you're designed to breathe air. And when you breathe water, it doesn't go well. And so, uh, feet tied together and hands behind the back and, you know, this particular part of it, they kind of shove everyone together in, this was in the military, not seminary. Uh, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> although, like, honestly, like, that would probably prepare him better for pastoral ministry than, than a lot of things. But anyways, like, so in this you know, the more I think about this, y'all just listen to the story and think, would that help pastors? I think it would. We'll do a petition at the SBC. So in this process, uh, they would put everyone in and, uh, and then just kind of shove everyone together. And um, you would, uh, uh, you would, like people would start freaking out because not everyone's that comfortable in water. And uh, instructors would swim around and they would yank you uh, from uh, underneath and pull you underwater. And then you'd kind of have to you know, like swim back. Okay. Anyways. And you'd have to, and so you'd have to keep doing that and figure out. And so like, I remember thinking like, 
I'm going to die, you know? Like, this is, and I didn't. I'm here, right? Like, I'm right here. And so I remember thinking that, and then like a switch flipped. And I went, if I can think right now, I'm not dead, and it's not too late. And on top of that, like, they hadn't let anyone die that I saw. And so I just thought, like, huh, all right. Some people passed out. They let them come back, cough, make sure they're okay, throw them back in. Like, okay, this is, this is good. This is good. This is healthy character or whatever. And so I remember this switch flipping, and I thought, it, it, it's, it's not too late. Now, I, I, I say all of that because I, 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 I love you. Like, I love you guys. I, I, you, I do. I, I think about you all the time. Like, you keep me up. I was up at 2.14 this morning just thinking about you guys. Because I, 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 I want you to hear this. Like, it's, it's not too late. And this is going to confront us. Not just you, me as well. This is going to confront us about how we can switch our view and manipulate God's word when it comes to uh, money in our lives and really how that affects the mission that God has for you and your life. The context of the story, Jesus is telling people who literally in the verses before, just look right up, they had, uh, that's Isaiah, it's my quiet times, who, who had just told them, that, who had just ridiculed him for teaching them this very thing, you can't serve two masters. For either you'll hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. This is chapter 16, verse 13. You cannot serve God and money. Those are Jesus' words. And they hear that, and they think, Jesus, this poor carpenter guy who claims to be God is telling me, look, what the, look at the stuff I have. I'm obviously more blessed than he is. What a fool. They ridicule him for that. And so Jesus begins to help them see, man, this is, I know your heart on this. And like he tells them in the verses right before this, just look at your Bible. He says, what you think like is exalted and impresses God because it impresses others is totally messed up. And he tells the story to help them see that. He tells the story of two men with two destinations. So let's read this story and see what God teaches us about money and mercy and missions. Because we aren't Jesus in this passage. Right now, you're not the rich man in just a minute in this passage or Lazarus in this passage. Right now, you're the Pharisee. Like, you're in here, you have a religious background. I mean, you're, just, you're here. It doesn't matter what you did before this. You're here hearing God's word. And you need to hear what God says and how he guides and instructs us about thinking about money, mercy, and missions. Here's what he says. Here's the story Jesus tells in Luke 16, verse 19. He says, there was a rich man 
who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. So this is the setup. He shares this story. Okay, the Pharisees, they love their stuff. They love their stuff. They live for it. Let's pretend that uh, this is the setup. Okay, Pharisee, you have, picture someone who has everything. I mean, uh, the language here suggests like dressed super nice, has all, <clears throat> all the money he could ever want, all of the food he could ever want. He, uh, uh, the idea of sumptuously and feasting, the, 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 the picture is, I mean, just living in extravagance, lavishly, big old house and all those things. I'm not talking like, like you know, country club rich. I'm talking like Middle Eastern rich. Like if you've ever traveled, you'll see that's a different level. We don't have that here at all in the United States. I mean, just like we're talking like rich, rich. So that's this guy. Here's the second guy. You ready? And at his gate, polar opposite, was a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. If you've ever had a chance to travel where this is being written and the culture it's being written to, you probably have seen this. Massive, beautiful home. Outside, there's a beggar. Everything inside on the walls with guards to make sure no one comes in and uh, tries to take something that's not theirs. And on the outside, people with literally nothing, just hoping that someone will toss them some food. But this guy's like extra, extra when it comes to devastated. He is so broken and poor that he can't afford any kind of care whatsoever. He's developed sores, and the reason why he's extra, extra, extra broken is because uh, the picture, which is kind of graphic, but that's the point of a dog licking sores. I mean, this guy is about as physically and spiritually unclean as it gets. The polar opposite of the rich man. Now, in the mind of a Pharisee, they're thinking, oh man, one of them is obviously blessed by God and the other one is obviously cursed. But here's what he says, what Jesus says. He says, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Wait a minute. Okay, maybe he did something good and like there was some grace there or whatever, you know. Uh, maybe, just maybe. And the rich man also died and was buried. Wait a minute. And in Hades, oh, it just got real. Jesus says, okay, this rich man, they're picturing themselves, is in hell. This doesn't compute. This is like shocking. Like, what do you mean? He, 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 what, oh, maybe he's not Jewish. Maybe he was rich and like a heathen or something. I don't know. But look at how he continues on. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and uh, Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham. Okay, that doesn't mean anything to you and me necessarily. But what this means is that the Pharisees immediately would have known, oh, this guy's a Jew. Oh, he knows God's people. He was a part of God's people. He, 
is one of those who over and over in Scripture, like the Pharisees would say, but we have Abraham as our father. That was one of the confidences that they had, that everything they did was okay, because Abraham was their father, going back to Father Abraham. Yeah, but, uh, so this guy, they're li- listening to this and going, wait a minute, this, this rich Jewish guy is in hell? That doesn't make sense. And look at how he replies. He says, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Do you see how Jesus is helping them see your riches mean nothing to impress God? Like when it comes to God's mission for these Pharisees, it's not to accumulate anything of earthly value. Not that money is bad. That's not the text. That's not even, not, that's not even the, the Bible. Money is neutral. It's what this guy has done with money, what the Pharisees are doing with money that makes this a terrible, terrible thing worthy of hell. And he continues on. He says, but Abraham said, child, Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And so this is now, do you see the the context? And now this is where you and I enter the text. The Pharisees are listening to this and going, wait a minute, that's absurd. Like their worldview looking at this is people that God blesses have money, and you're telling me that this guy that has money, who's also Jewish, therefore he has been blessed by God, is in hell right now. I mean, they're going to crucify Jesus for statements like this. He's, they think he's absolutely absurd. And furthermore, they, they really honestly embrace the reality that they could serve both God and money. And this is what happens in our lives when we embrace the reality that we can serve God and money. One of them always becomes secondary, and it is not money. You guys, when we pursue comfort and things and finances as if it is God, God does not share his throne with anything, let alone something as worthless as worthless money. All of this guy's riches couldn't do a thing in the, in the afterlife, a thing in eternity. Say, well, that's the Pharisees. That's not us. Guys, I, I want you to know that so often the battle of pastoral ministry is to help my own heart and us see that God's mission for us isn't stuff or money or things. It's people. 
It's his glory. It's glorifying him as we fulfill his command, living, leaning into him, trusting him fully, walking close to him. And what can happen so quickly is we can swap it. We can swap it and say, what, how I know I'll satisfy God is when I have more money. I have this conversation all the time with young pastors. They'll say, I'm really praying for God to, uh, to do something, you know, to, to know what his answer is for my ministry. And I'll say, okay, how do you know if he answers? And they'll say the same thing every single time. Usually more money at a bigger church. I'm going, no, no. Amen, we just, this, we spit this out like, like it's nothing. But you, you, you do this too. Like, we, we all want our kids to fulfill God's mission. No one in here will be like, no, I don't. Like, that, that'd be, I, I don't know, that's, that's probably not happening. Maybe one of you, but that would be weird, right? Like, all of us, if I was like, do you want your kids to fulfill God's mission? Yeah, absolutely. Unless it costs time. I don't really have time to help them do that. Or, um... Or money, like that, it costs way too much to, you know, send kids to places. And as long as it doesn't interfere with an activity that's on the calendar, they're totally in, right? One of the messages, my goodness, one of the messages, one of the battles that every youth pastor faces, I've faced this when I was a student pastor, is also, like, I want my kid to love Jesus. I want my teenager to love Jesus uh, and so you have this 45-minute uh, window um, where uh, they've already uh, had their sports. You just can't interfere with that. And um, uh, you don't ask them to do anything outside of when they're here. Um, and they need time uh, to rest. Uh, and uh, it can't interfere with their school. And you're like, how am I supposed to jump through that hoop, right? Are we... We want our marriages, man, we want our marriages to represent God. Interestingly, right before this, one of the places that their love for money was manifesting itself, I mean, you should look at the text, is how they were treating their marriages. When it becomes about status, it becomes less about service. And in this, I mean, every young couple, every young adult, unmarried or married, they say, man, I want to I serve God with everything. And you say, that's awesome. Let's start right now. Here's what you can do. And they say, well, wait, well, I mean, once I'm settled, what do they mean by that? Financially. Whenever uh, it comes time to uh, engage, by the way, our senior adults of this church are incredible. Just incredible. And so I say this uh, in good faith that you guys will agree. The temptation is often to look at your ability to serve with more time and more resource, whether that's money or whatever, as, well, I've already paid my time. And what that means is that I, I know that this is required, but man, that would cost, that would cost whatever that looks like. I mean, this is, this is how we are tempted to think. Jesus is confronting that in the Pharisees. He's confronting that in you. 
and in me. This feels like an attack. I promise it's not. I promise it's not because let's just say on the other side, you're saying, no, Tim, I can do everything that I'm doing. My teenager can do everything that they're doing and also serve God. I can continue to push them to the neglect of spending time with the Lord. I can continue to myself push my life and my schedule and calendar to the neglect of uh, uh, Christian radio between places. Uh, I can continue to uh, push out uh, my retirement until Jesus comes back and then we'll do things. Like I can continue to do that and that's completely okay. I am fulfilling that. You can fulfill God's mission with both of those things intention. So here's the question that I've asked. How's it going? Are you fulfilling God's mission of bringing him glory and the gospel going out where you are with those people around you? At the end of this, at the end of this, we're going to look at a sheet that has six lines on it, and I'm going to ask the question, who are six people that God would call you, convict you to reach with the gospel uh, and invite to Easter in the next couple of weeks? And the, the truth is, it, like, I, I, I can get here too. The truth is, it can be really hard to think of six people. And so that, that's, that, that's not stepping on y'all's toes and not mine. That's, that's everybody in here going, like, how, how's it going? When was the last time you saw someone reached with the gospel? You see, we can so easily switch it. We can so easily switch the mission of God with our own thing and even use Christian language to do so. And this is a dangerous thing that Jesus is addressing in our heart. Continuing on, Jesus gives us one big lesson because, man, it's like super easy to just point out, here's uh, what we're not doing. And that's not everybody, but I'm sure it's someone in this room that has confused uh, the purpose of your life as accumulating stuff and the purpose of your life as glorifying God, following him forever. And in that, and there's nuanced ways, I understand there's like ways, wisdom to work it out, and that's, that's it, but it's easy to point out. Sometimes we fail to hit that mark, so what do we do with that? Thankfully, the text is going to help us see. He gives us one big lesson, and here's the lesson, ready? Lean into Scripture, lean into Jesus. Look at how he continues on in verse 27. Jesus says, and he said, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house. He sees the problem. He says, okay, fine, send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into the place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if, if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. And he said to him, if they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. In this story, the rich man realizes, like, man, 
obviously I had swapped serving God and instead had served money. I don't want others to make this mistake. Send somebody to tell them what's going on. And the response is, read the Bible. But why? It seems like such a uh, kind of a, a throwaway answer, a, some, a Christian cliche of, you know, have more quiet times or whatever. Read the Bible. Do you know what happens if you read Scripture? I don't mean a verse a day to keep the devil away. I mean like read Scripture. Hide it in your heart. Memorize it in your mind. As you rise and as you go, as you lay down, as you rise up, talking about it with your kids, talking about it with others, continuing to dive into what God has said to us. Not what we feel like he's saying, but like just saying this is what he says. Do you know what you find about the mission of God? You find that the way to fulfill God's mission is the way of Christ. God fulfilled his mission that he has set out for all of creation by sending Jesus to come and live a perfect life and die and be raised again. At the end of this, we'll talk about that. But looking at scripture first, we got to look at that or else that's going to make no sense. When Jesus comes, King Jesus in the book of Luke, he is perfectly 100% God. This is scripture. He's not a new form of God or a new version of God or an updated, nicer idea of God. He is the manifestation of the one God coming in the flesh. And in that we see who God is in his mission fulfilled. Jesus goes around and does God things like tell a storm to stop being a storm, and it does. He tells the dead people, stop being dead, be alive, and they're alive. He tells blind people, see, and deaf people to hear, and mute people speak, paralyzed people get up and walk. And then on top of all that, he says, your sins, the ways that you have, uh, dis- the, the ways that you have gone against God, your sins are, are forgiven. You are loosed from the consequences. He does all of the things God does. And he doesn't do that for those who have it all together. No way. In the book of Luke, man, he's like hanging out with drunk people and tax collectors. I mean, just terrible sinners and prostitutes and things that can't even, well, there's kids here. Like what Pastor Eric calls rated R sinners appropriately. You and me, the things we hide. The people we look at and think, they're, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's another level, like Lazarus. He seeks them out. And when they seek him and say, I need help, he shows mercy. He shows mercy. This is who God is. Is. Think about the context of the story. These guys that have ridiculed Jesus, Jesus' response, who is God? He can just be like, dead, and they would die. Instead, he says, let me tell you a story to help correct what you're go- what's going on here. You're headed to where this rich guy is if you don't see that you're serving money and not God. You must serve me. That's what scripture says. And man, if you don't believe scripture, even when I raise from the dead, you're still not going to believe. But even at that, they crucify him. They don't believe him in this moment. Do you know the very first group of people that Jesus tells his disciples to go preach to once he's raised from the dead? 
He said, you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem. Oh my goodness. The very people that are confronting him and will kill him. He says, go tell them about me. This is the mercy of God. For those who have swapped money and it's affecting the mission of God because they see money as God. He looks at them and says, I want you to know that that's not the right way to go. There is punishment for that, but you don't have to go there. Here's mercy and mercy and mercy. This is Jesus. And when you, when you see the reality that God has designed you to fulfill his mission by going into the world, bringing him glory, by spreading his gospel, not by spreading our wealth, if God gives us wealth, fantastic, but by spreading his gospel, you will see that God's design for your life isn't to get more stuff. It's to spread the good news of the gospel everywhere we go. That's God's design for you. Here's the danger. If we live like God's designed for us as stuff, you've missed what Scripture says. You're missing who Jesus is. You're failing to believe and trust and follow God as God. That's a dangerous place to be. So what do we do with this? If you're a follower of Jesus, I ask you to not reinvent the design that God has for your life. We're gonna, we're gonna just do a very practical thing. There's a card like this on the end of every row. And we've, we've uh, tied it into Easter because Easter's coming, but this is the text, and so we're going to just roll with it. There's six lines on this card, and if you're a follower of Jesus, tomorrow isn't the day to start living the mission. Right now, right now, right now is the time. If you're a follower of Jesus and you, you know that you are at I want you to take some time. I mean, right now, just block me out. Uh, start thinking about, I think there's six on here. Yeah, six people that you can invite. You can pray for. And maybe God would open a door not just for you to invite them to church, but to invite them to Christ. It's a great exercise because as you think about, as you think about I don't even, I don't, six people, I don't even know six people. Okay. This is not a thing about like people who are outgoing and people who are more introverted or whatever. It's just a matter of, I mean, six people. Like you pick uh, your grocery store checker outer or whatever. Say, I do Walmart delivery. Okay, whatever. That person, they literally come to your house. You don't even have to go to them. It's wonderful. You go out to eat today. Your server, y'all, I mean, there's like hundreds of people here. Someone's going to go eat somewhere. Someone's going to need to get an invitation and hear the gospel today in a restaurant from this church. Everybody has a neighbor. You might say, I live on 150 acres in Northampton County or whatever, and I drive all the way here every 
Sunday. And that's fine. If you go far enough over your property line, eventually you hit somebody, right? Uh, you, uh, they live next to somebody. Invite them. If they say it's too far because we live in Northampton County, put them in your truck, take them with you. You know what I mean? Like, you're already coming. So like, you have neighbors. You have family. This isn't a, hey, let's pack the house out because Easter is good and we want to like, have a full house. I mean, certainly we, we do. This is a, what does it look like to live the mission practically? I mean, get at sharing the gospel, inviting others to know who Jesus is right now. And so if you are a believer in Jesus, you just start that. If you're not a believer in Jesus, I would ask you, today you have an offer of mercy by God who is mercy upon mercy, grace upon grace. When John writes about Jesus in John chapter one, he says, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. You might say, Tim, that, 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 that sounds great, but you don't know my background. I promise you, the depth and darkness of your sin, no matter how deep or, or long you think it is, oh, God's grace and his mercy covers every single time someone who has sinned comes to Jesus, his heart leans into them with compassion and mercy. There's no stiff arming. He doesn't do that to people who need him. He's like the father of the prodigal son that Pastor Eric preached about last week. As soon as the son comes to his right mind and says, I need to go back to my father, he finds his father has been waiting for him and his father runs to meet him. That's God's love for you. So today, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we're gonna have some people up front and we'd love to talk with you about that. About what it looks like to say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sin. I ask that you'd forgive me of my sin, that I could trust and follow you forever. And then last but not least, if you're in here today and you would say that I have swapped, I've swapped serving God and serving money. Maybe the direction of your life has been your, uh, any, I mean, anything, career, whatever, whatever money gets, whatever has been that to the neglect of like, gosh, I, honestly, man, I can't remember the last time I, 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 I talked with God or talked about him outside of this place or ugh, this isn't a, a guilt thing of like you need to do better. This text is a take off the burden of all of the things that are preventing you from following Jesus. Like why you do that and instead put on the burden of Christ who says, come to me. You feel super heavy? That's exactly the kind of person that Jesus says, come to me. You're exhausted? He says, I will give you rest. So my life group is learning. We're going through a book. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. This is Jesus. He's not trying to put something on top of everything you're already doing. He's trying to help you see, take off the thing you're doing that's keeping you from me and carry my burden. It's beautiful and light. And I know that that takes some nuancing. 
and some wisdom because things are heavy. So the third group is we're going to open up this front area. It's always open anyways. I'm not open to anything. And if you just want to spend time praying with the Lord, my God, help me to see what it looks like to just reorient you as God and everything else as secondary. Specifically about this area of my life. Husbands, maybe you need to grab your wife and come down. Parents, maybe you need to like get your kids, but I'm, I'm going to pray over you right now. You know, like, <laughs> or maybe you just need to come on your own, spend some time with the Lord. But that being said, let's pray and let's respond appropriately. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for being so good to us. Help us to have courage and conviction to respond to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.